Go ahead and open it. Isaiah 55. Let's see what page it is. Should be page 560 in your pew Bible. We started in Isaiah 55 just a few weeks ago, but we've had some interruptions. So I kind of want to review what we covered because Isaiah 55 is, it's really all one long message. Um, But we're, of course, breaking it down because it would be a really, really long message if we did it all together. So in Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3, the Lord says, You there, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, you who have no money, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear. Come to me and listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to faithful mercies of David. Now, we looked at those three verses the last time we were in Isaiah. And in this, we saw that that Jesus invites us to come to him and receive his abundance. We talked about his abundance of the Holy Spirit, his abundance of joy, his abundance of strength, his abundance of promises. This is the great invitation that the Lord Jesus Christ extends to all of us. And the thing about invitations, direct invitations require a direct response. And how do we respond to Jesus so that we can experience the abundance that he invites us to receive? Well, that's where we're picking up tonight at verse 6 and 7. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked abandon his way and the unrighteous person his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. The title of the message tonight is The Time to Respond. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. You're great and awesome. You're worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you, Lord. For your word that guides us and reveals to us a Savior who invites us to come to Him and receive His abundance. Now as we look at this passage on how to respond to this invitation, Father, let Holy Spirit come and make your word living and active. Let us see how we ought to respond and what we need to do so that we can respond. But Lord, help us to understand the urgency of the invitation. Father, help us to understand that that Jesus is Lord. And though the invitation stands, there is a time to respond when he issues it to us. Father, guide me tonight and help me to be filled with the Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. That I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. I don't want to be a hindrance in any way. I just want to say what you once said. Nothing more and nothing less. Be glorified tonight in all that happens. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, after laying out what he was offering in verses 1 through 3. He calls, Jesus calls then for us to have a response in verses 6 and 7. Now, when we get to this more in depth, we're going to focus on the way to respond. But I want to emphasize to us before we get to this, the the urgency of the response based upon what we see in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Does does this imply or does this teach there could be times when God may not be found? Does this imply that there are times in which God may not be near and the invitation may be over? Well, consider what we see in God's word. 
King Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you hand them over to Israel? But God did not answer him on that day. On another time, Saul inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him, either in dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. So there was twice that the apostle, or I'm sorry, that King Saul cried out to God, sought the God, sought the Lord, and yet the Lord was not found by him. The Lord was not near. But this isn't just something that happens in the, the Old Testament. Consider what Jesus said in the New Testament. He began to reprimand the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that occurred in you occurred in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not... Will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the miracles that occurred in you had occurred in Sodom, it would remain to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Jesus had ministered signs and wonders and miracles among them as a way of inviting them to come to him and receive his abundance. They had repeatedly rejected his invitation. And now, according to Jesus, it was too late. There was nothing they could look forward to but the certainty of judgment. But this isn't the only time Jesus says this. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stone those who have been sent to her. How often I wanted to, to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Jesus' entire ministry toward Jerusalem was one of inviting them. To come to him, yet they had continually resisted and rejected this invitation. Now, according to him, it was too late because judgment was coming. And we could look at more examples of this, but all the examples would teach the same truth. If we want what Jesus offers, we must respond when Jesus calls. If we want what Jesus offers, we must respond when Jesus calls. As we think about this idea, something to keep in mind is that Jesus is the sovereign ruler over all things. He is King Jesus. This includes his invitation. Now, to be sure, Jesus in his gracious mercy is long suffering and calls to us repeatedly to come to him. However, the long-suffering and the merciful grace of Jesus should not be taken to picture him as a, as a desperate boyfriend or a desperate girlfriend sitting by the phone just waiting for our beck and call. For us to give him a little bit of attention, for us to, to throw a bone his way as it were. When King Jesus invites us to something, we must answer in the time that he allows. And we must answer in the ways he prescribes. If we want what Jesus offers, we must respond when Jesus calls. Because there may well be a time when it is too late. When we call upon him, but he will not be found. We will seek him, but he is not near.
Now, the great news about the invitation of Jesus is it is given to sinful and rebellious people. In his invitation, Jesus calls sinful and rebellious people to come to him for the very first time. And he calls sinful, rebellious people who have at one point come to him and have wandered away to to return to him. But what I want us to consider with tonight is that not only are sinful, rebellious people called to Jesus and offered things, but deeply devoted disciples of Jesus are also invited to come to Jesus. Now, I want us to think about this tonight because my goal isn't merely to focus on the lost or the backslidden, but for those who would say they are deeply devoted disciples of Jesus. My reason for this is twofold. First, the living nature of God's word means there is always something for us, regardless of our level of spiritual growth. We have never so fully arrived that when we come to a passage of Scripture, there is not something we need from it. And second, I don't believe the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ is merely for the unbelieving and the backslidden. I believe Jesus is always calling for us to come to him. He invites us to come to him for salvation. When we stray, he invites us to return to him. But not only in those times of when we're lost and when we're rebellious, but he is just continually inviting us to come to him so that we can go deeper with him. He's always inviting us to to come near to know Him better. To make progress in sanctification. To trust Him more. To grow spiritually. To find and use our spiritual gifts. to, To change in one way or another. Jesus is always inviting His disciples for something. And when He does, we must decide if we want what He's offering. And if so, then we must respond When Jesus calls. This is as true for us as deeply devoted disciples of Jesus as it is for the lost and the backslidden. And in this passage, Jesus gives us three ways to respond. The first is simply to seek Jesus. To seek Him. To call upon Him. In that moment of the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we we respond, we go to Him, we cry out to Him. I think it's something that we, if we're not careful, can lose the wonder of this. Think about how great this is. The Savior who died for us, the King over kings, the Lord over lords, the one who's going to come back and rule and conquer, is calling to us, even tonight, to come to Him for something. To come to Him to to know Him better, to come to Him to grow spiritually, to come to Him for something. How great is it? That Jesus doesn't sit in heaven and say, I am the great king over all the earth. They had better seek me. But he says, I am the great king over all of heaven. Come. Come to me and receive what I offer. Oh, we ought to be constantly awed and amazed that the great king over all kings would constantly call unto us. The idea of Jesus calling to us is found all throughout God's word. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is comfortable. My burden is light. 
Hebrews, after talking about the great high priest of our faith, Jesus says, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Even the very end of the book of Revelation, toward the end of all things, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without cost. These are just a few of the places where we are invited to come to Jesus. I love the invitations we find in God's word of Jesus calling us to come to him. I love them because I find them a great source of comfort and encouraging. They're comforting. Because when we go to Jesus, we're never getting on his nerves. We're never bothering him when we do that because he is the one who has initiated the call. He is the one who has invited us. They're comforting or they're encouraging because they there's always a promise associated with it. Did you notice that we notice it in in Isaiah 55? But but notice it even here. Come to me if you're weary and burdened and what will happen? I will give you rest. Take my yoke. That's an invitation. And you will learn from me. You will find rest for your souls. He's inviting us to come and receive those things from him. We're invited to approach the throne where our great high priest is. And we're promised that when we do, we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us in our time of need. We're invited to come and we'll take of the water of life without cost. Very similar to the Isaiah 55 invitation. There are always promises associated. He calls us to come to him. And as we answer that call and seek him and call upon him, he gives us something. He does something in us and through us and for us for that. When when the girls were at NCS, they had some classes here at the church. We had several classrooms set up here at the church. And in the process of their being in the classroom, whether it was on their way into the class or after the class or sometime during the class, typically they would come into my office and see me once or twice during their day. And one day Sarah asked me if if their coming in got on my nerves. And I told them absolutely not. That I loved it when they came to see me throughout the day. I kept, in fact, to in an effort to entice them I kept candy and snacks in my snack drawer. I kept coffee in my thermos. And and I even kept sugar and creamer to, to mess up the coffee because that's how they liked it. So that they would come in and see me throughout the day. I think in many ways, Jesus' invitations and promises are like my candy and coffee. They're there to draw us to Him. He wants us. To come to him. So he invites us to come to him and he makes promises of things he will do for us and in us and through us when we respond and seek him out. In in Isaiah 55, Jesus has invited us to experience an abundance of Holy Spirit, an abundance of his joy, an abundance of spiritual strength. And for those that were here, Last time when we looked at this, let me ask you a question. How have you been seeking Jesus in response to his invitation to come and receive his abundance? How are you going to seek Jesus 
in response to his invitation to to go to him and receive his abundance. He's calling the work that we feel in our heart is Jesus calling us. And if we want what he offers, we must respond when he calls. The great king over all kings, the Lord of heaven, King Jesus cannot be put off indefinitely. He is Lord even of that invitation. And we must respond to his invitation by seeking him. So we not only seek Jesus, but we we make necessary changes. We make the necessary changes. Notice verse 7. Let the the wicked abandon his way and the unrighteous person his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. Now the first of verse 7, let the wicked abandon his way, the unrighteous person his thoughts. He's clearly calling on the wicked, on the unrighteous, to repent. Right? That's what he's calling them to repent, come to him. Now, if you come to our church often, you know that we talk about repentance a lot. The most basic definition of repentance is a change of mind about God and sin resulting in a change of life. The change part is essential to genuine repentance. Repentance isn't seen in the way that we cry. And repentance isn't seen In the way that we say we're sorry, repentance is ultimately seen in the changes that it's made in our lives. Without a change, according to God's word, there is no legitimate and genuine repentance. But change isn't just necessary for repentance. Change is necessary for all of our lives. As disciples of Jesus. When Jesus invites us to himself. There are always changes we must make to respond to this invitation. Regardless of what he's calling us to. If Jesus invites us to to come to him and, and make progress in our sanctification. There are going to be changes we'll have to make to To make the progress in our sanctification. Sanctification is is literally being changed. So we can't stay the same and make progress in our sanctification at the same time. We'll have to be willing to, to change. When Jesus invites us to come to him so that we can grow spiritually, there are changes we'll have to make to respond to the invitation and and grow spiritually. When Jesus calls us to trust him more, there are changes we'll have to make to respond to this invitation and and demonstrate that we trust him. When Jesus calls us to come to him and find and begin to use our spiritual gifts, there are changes we'll have to make to find and then begin to use our spiritual gifts. So when Jesus calls us to come to him and receive his abundance, there are always changes we must make to go to Jesus and receive his abundance. Change is a non-negotiable part of following Jesus. Now that should make good sense to us because the overall goal of, of our lives as disciples of Jesus is to be as much like Jesus as is humanly possible. And no matter where you are in your spiritual life tonight, I promise you, there's an awful lot of difference between where you are and how Jesus is. 
It's true for all of us. We haven't arrived. No matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter what we've been doing, we haven't arrived. There is changes that need to be made. But as people, we are masters of excusing and justifying our behavior. Let me read something I read recently illustrating this. The author said, I've always had a bad temper. That's just the way I am. Or, I'm a straightforward person. That's who I am and people ought to accept me for that. Or, I just call things as I see them. I don't sugarcoat anything. The author says the list could go on endlessly. But the one thing these excuses all have in common is that each is meant to justify the people being just the way they are. It's a way of resisting change. It's also a way for Satan to creep into our minds. The great deceiver tells us we're not rude. We're just being honest. And people ought to respect that quality in us. And if the devil can convince us that we don't have to change, that we're fine exactly the way we are, he has won a serious battle in our lives. The devil can cause, can give us a lot of excuses for not changing. And that may be the problem. If he convinces us that other people are at fault because they're just too sensitive or they just don't want to hear the truth and face reality, then we don't feel responsible and we think we're all right. Not facing the truth about ourselves is part of Satan's deceptive work. The pathway to freedom begins when we face our problems and face them without excuses. So let's take what Jesus is inviting us to experience in this chapter. And let's examine our lives in light of that. Do we experience an abundance of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And if not, why not? Jesus said we could experience such an abundance of Holy Spirit in our lives that, that rivers of living water would flow out of us. Now, we, we've talked about some of what those living waters would look like. It would be the fruit of the Spirit, a supernatural love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. It would be being consistently led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit that we do not fulfill the desires of our sinful nature. Empowering of the Spirit to do things that are beyond our natural capabilities, whether it's our spiritual gifts or to minister to someone in some way. Talk about the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. Any number of these things. Do we experience an abundance of these things flowing out of our lives? And if not, why not? I mean, if that's what, what God's Word says we can have, why don't we have it? Are we willing to make whatever changes are necessary so we can experience an abundance of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Do we experience an abundance of joy in our lives? If not, why not? God's Word often speaks about joy in the life of a disciple of Jesus. We're told things like, Rejoice in the Lord always. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Do we experience that abundance of joy in our lives? And if not, why not? 
Why don't we experience what God's word says we're supposed to have in our lives? And if we don't have it, are we willing to make whatever changes are necessary so that we can experience the abundance of joy Jesus invites us to receive? Do we experience an abundance of spiritual strength in our lives? If not, why not? God's word says we can be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Tells us the Holy Spirit gives us mighty inner strength and God gives power to the weak and to those who have no strength. He increases might. Are those things true of us? Are we strong in the Lord and the power of his might? Do we have mighty inner strength? Are we increasing in the strength from the Lord? If not, why not? Why aren't we as strong spiritually as God's word says we ought to be? And if we're not, are we willing to make whatever changes are necessary so we can experience the abundance of strength Jesus invites us to experience? If Jesus invites us to it, then Jesus will give it to us. He doesn't invite us to these things and then hold it out and not fulfill his promise. He gives us what he says he will give us. We legitimately can experience an abundance of Holy Spirit, an abundance of joy and an abundance of spiritual strength. However, to experience what we aren't experiencing, changes are required. I mean, again, that should make sense. If the life I'm living and the things I'm doing is not producing in me an abundance of joy, an abundance of the Holy Spirit, an abundance of spiritual strength, then if I keep doing what I've been doing, I'm not going to see any changes. I have to change if I want different results. What changes need to be made in our lives? So we can experience the fullness of what Jesus is abiding us to experience. And maybe we don't know. I think that's a legitimate thing. Maybe we don't know. And if we don't know, we can always pray the prayer of Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Whatever changes need to be made so that we can experience the abundance Jesus invites us to, the Lord knows what it is. And He is more than gracious to show us what it is. But, and I think this is key, when we invite the Lord to search us and to test us, to try us in this way, we have to have a sort of a non-negotiable surrender to Him. That whatever he reveals, that we must change. Are we willing to do that? If we want what Jesus offers, we must respond when Jesus calls. And this response always requires a change from us. And then lastly, live with hopeful expectation. Let the wicked abandon his way, verse 7, the unrighteous person his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. Now notice the certainty of these last two statements. And he will have compassion 
and our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Certainty. If we respond in the way God dictates, if we respond in the way Jesus tells us to respond, then he will do what he has said he will do. If we are lost or a prodigal and we return to the Lord, he will have compassion and he will abundantly pardon. But for us, maybe that we say we are a fully devoted disciple of Christ. If we respond to Jesus and the way he tells us to respond in the time he calls us to respond, he will do exactly what he says he will do. He will give us an abundance of Holy Spirit. He will give us an abundance of joy. He will give us an abundance of spiritual strength. Or to look at the other invitations we talked about. He will give us rest for our souls. He will give us mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. He will give us the living water our souls thirst for. How can we be sure though? How can we be sure Jesus will do exactly what he has said he will do? Well, as with all things regarding Jesus, it it typically goes back to the cross. It says, for the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but has been yes in him. And for many as the promises of God are in him, they are yes. And through him, he is also our amen to the glory of God through us. Speaking of the Father, says, Who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all? How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? The very moment Adam and Eve fell into sin, God began to call humans to Himself. And in the promise of that, that very first day was that there would someday be a, a Savior, a Messiah, who would come and crush the serpent's head. And would destroy his hold over mankind. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. Through his death on the cross, Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. Through his death on the cross, he destroyed the works of the devil. That's what 1 John says. And the point Paul is making is that if God would keep that first promise, even though it meant the awful death of his only begotten son, won't he keep all the others? If God will keep that promise, which is greater, won't he keep the other promises, which are less in comparison? If we can look at the cross And in the cross, we can see the penalty for our sins has been paid. And know that it is because of what Jesus did there. Our sins are forgiven. We have a relationship with God. We're a new creation. All of those things are true. Heaven is our ultimate home. If we can look at the cross and see those things, we can look at that same cross and say, God will certainly fulfill every other promise He has given. There is no hope 
apart from Jesus and what He has done for us on the cross. At the same time, all hope is found in Jesus and what He has done for us on the cross. Living in in hopeful expectation of God keeping His promises. It's not based upon the fact that we have been good. And it's not based upon the fact that we have this perfect faith that never wavers. And it's not based upon the fact that maybe one day we will be good. And so God will keep His promise. It's not based upon us at all. The certainty that God will keep His promises to us is based entirely on what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. And because of our connection to Jesus through faith, all of God's promises are yes and amen. And only, only because of Jesus. I think this is... Again, huge when we think about the kind of promises we're talking about here. It's easy to say, well, I mean, I know me and I know my flaws. An abundance of Holy Spirit. That's just, I mean, I see it in the Bible, but that's, I just don't think that could happen in me. I'm too flawed, too, too many things are broken in me. Maybe true. Probably is true. It's not based upon you. It's based upon Jesus. An abundance of, of hope, abundance, or abundance of joy. I mean, I'm just not a naturally joyful person. That's just not my personality. I, I just I, I tend to always look at the cloud behind the silver lining. That's just who I am. I'm just not a joyful person. Maybe true. It's not based upon you. It's based upon Jesus and what He has done on the cross. An abundance of spiritual strength. Well, I'm just not very strong. I don't have a lot of willpower. I don't have a lot of self-control. I tend to just sort of give in when something's before me. Entirely possible that may be true. It's not based upon you. Not ever. It's based upon Jesus and what He has done for us on the cross. And as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have got to stop limiting Him based upon our shortcomings. He is not limited by our flaws and our shortcomings unless we choose to limit Him. If we begin to to make excuses like I read earlier, then to be sure we will limit what Jesus does in us and through us and for us. But if we look full on and say, yeah, that's, that's all true about me. But here's what the Lord has promised. And here's what the Lord has done. And I believe Him, and I have more faith in Him than I do in me. We will experience the abundance Jesus calls us to come to Him and receive. We must stop limiting Jesus based upon our shortcomings. And live with hopeful expectation because of what Christ has done on our behalf. So do we experience the abundance Jesus invites us to experience? Do we experience an abundance of the Holy Spirit? Do we experience an abundance of joy? Do we experience an abundance of spiritual strength? If not, 
Are we content to live in scarcity rather than in abundance? Are we content to live with less than what the Lord Jesus Christ invites us to experience? I think so long as we are contented to live below what is offered, we will continue to live below what is offered. There has to come in all of our lives a holy discontentment with less than what God's word promises should be ours through what Christ has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You're great and awesome. You're wonderful and worthy. We praise you. We worship you. We surrender our lives to you. Jesus, you promised that if we come to you, we would receive your abundance. Stir a discontent within us if we're not living in that. Help us not to be content to live below what you've offered us and what you've promised could be ours through your sacrifice. Let us seek you. Make us willing to make whatever changes are necessary. And help us to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto the cross where you died. Make us to believe the word. That if. God will keep that promise. He will keep all the rest. That you are the yes and the amen to all of Father's promises to us. Not us, not our performance, not our perfection. You. And let us experience the fullness of what you've promised could be ours through you. Amen.